So hi everyone, this is another one of the podcast videos for the gastroenterology section of Optimized Interviews. The subject of this one is deranged liver function tests and how to approach them. So I'm here, I'm Michael, I'm one of the gastroenterology registrars, currently work at St. George's and Krithi. I'll let you introduce yourself. Hello everyone, my name is Krithi, I'm one of the gastroenterology 4s at currently at London. So we're going to go through, Krithi, Krithi and I are going to just have a discussion about deranged liver function tests and how you know what could be going on how to approach it and the kind of key things you need to think about when you're approaching this in both in real life and in and in exam situations so Krithi I'll hand it over to you and we'll get going yeah thank you Michael so the topic that we're going to cover today as Michael mentioned is on deranged LFTs so you would all know deranged LFTs are very common both in an outpatient setting and in an inpatient setting therefore it is really important to take a careful history and perform a targeted clinical examination to look for the potential cause deranged LFTs can be due to a liver pathology or can be related to extra hepatic cause as well as you would all know there are three common patterns of abnormal liver function tests so we're just going to break this down to three different categories. The first category is where you have isolated phrased bilirubin, so just purely elevated bilirubin. And this is most commonly caused by patients with Gilbert syndrome, where it affects about 5 to 8% of the population. You also need to consider hemolysis in this group of patients, particularly if they're anemic, by requesting the hemolysis screen, uh, which is the reticulocyte pound, LDH, and heptoglobin. And you also need to consider doing a split bilirubin to see the sort of the proportion of the conjugated and unconjugated bilirubin. And there are many other sort of gen rare genetic causes of raised unconjugated bilirubin that we won't get into today. And the second group of LFT abnormalities is cholestatic, where you have predominantly raised phosphatase and gamma GT. The common causes for cholestasis include conditions like PBC, which is primary biliary cholangitis, and you've got PSC, primary sclerosing cholangitis, or other causes of biliary obstruction like stones, strictures, or even malignancy affecting the hepatobiliary system. Other potential cholestatic causes include hepatic congestion from patients with a known sort of cardiac failure, or drug-induced liver injury. However, an isolated raised ALP can be rate herring as it may be caused by extra hepatic causes as well and may not be liver-related. For instance, it can be seen in conditions like Paget's disease or vitamin D deficiency. And thus, the presence of concomitantly elevated gamma GT is often helpful to confirm that this is likely a liver cause. And the last group of abnormal LFTs is the hepatitic group, where the where you have predominantly raised ALT and AST, which basically indicates there's ongoing hepatocellular liver injury. And common causes for this group of patients are viral hepatitis, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, alcohol-related liver disease, autoimmune hepatitis, and drug-induced liver injury as well. And sometimes you can have mixed patterns. Um, it can be difficult to sort of elucidate the cause. So that's why history and trying to find the potential potential risk factors is important in this scenario. Yeah, I think that's a very very nice summary of the kind of major patterns that we see. Uh, you know, the, as you as you say, Krithi, the the kind of the jaundice isolated jaundice. You've got to wonder if it is something like Jobert's syndrome or something like like that. But you always need to be wary of other kind of extra and prehepatic causes for that. Uh, and then it, and I wouldn't add much else other than just to say with the cholestatic stuff, it's about the it's about the cholangiocytes that are the the kind of injured cells, and that's why you release the ALP and gamma GT. Like that you mentioned, the ALP can be caused to other things. So 
often just an isolated ALP, you'll see that if there's bone injury or if there's, you know, like things like fractures or if there's kind of bony met from something else, you'll often see just an isolated gamma GT, uh, an isolated raised ALP. So gamma GT in that setting can be can be very useful. And, you know, it's it's good to know, to understand this kind of approach to it. it a lot of the time it doesn't happen in written real life practice because there's often a mixed component to a lot of problems but to have the understanding and framework in your head is, in your head is a very good way to approach these kind of clinical problems so so could you talk about kind of taking a careful history and stuff do you want to take us through what you would look for specifically when you're when you're thinking about the history and liver injury yeah sure so i think the salient points are sort of you're looking for in the history is to trying to find if the patient have any risk factors so there are many risk factors for someone to have sort of hepatitis or other causes of differential lft so we're just going to break it down to a few categories first thing obviously you can ask about the alcohol intake because biggest group of patients that we have in this part of the world is alcohol related liver disease so alcohol intake is key, trying to quantify in terms of how many units they've had in a week and also how long have they had this for. Second biggest cause is the metabolic syndrome or non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. So finding out if the patient has diabetes, hyperlipidemia, obesity, sort of risk factors to have NASH cirrhosis. Sexual history is quite important as well, particularly in hepatitis B, previous transfusions for hepatitis C, also social history, trying to uh, asking patients if they've had intravenous drug use in the past, or any piercings or tattoos, which is often a risk factor for hepatitis C in itself. Travel history and food intake, sort of takeaways or regional unwell context exposure is important for hepatitis A and E due to the fecal oral transmission. Uh, so that's quite important in your history. Uh, another big group of risk factors that often get missed is new medications. As uh, There's a huge range of medication that cause drug-induced liver injury, which we'll go through more at the end. So just find, finding out if the patient has been on any new meds and also trying to establish a temporal relationship between the commencement of the medication and from the onset of the deranged LFTs. And again, also family history of any autoimmune disease or liver disease specifically, such as Wilson's disease or hemochromatosis, this has a genetic component to it. So I think this is sort of just sort of the main risk factors that you're expected to ask, especially when you're seeing a patient with deranged LFTs. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I think, you know, the the stuff you talked about there is very, very key. And I think particularly if you're if you're seeing someone with deranged liver function tests and it's not picking, it's not immediately clear what's going on. If they're quite young, that's when you need to just think about, as Kriti said, things like the metabolic syndrome. So things like Wilson disease, which will often present with, with quite significantly deranged LFTs, but will often have a normal ALP. And then things like F1 antitrypsin deficiency, where you'll have deranged liver function tests, but you can also have kind of emphysematic changes in the lungs. And then I think you mentioned drugs. Drugs is obviously a major, major cause and drug-induced liver injury is a big, big cause of deranged function tests. The majority of the time, it doesn't cause any problems and a lot of them are self-limiting, but a lot of drugs can cause a transient injury to the liver. And if you're uncertain, then the key thing in the history from that point of view is about the timeline. So when did they start taking it? How much did they start taking it? How long did they take it for? And if there's ever uncertainty about if a drug can cause a liver injury, then there's an excellent resource called Liver Tox, which is a free to use available book online, which you can just Google and you can type in virtually any drug there and you can get an answer about how likely it is to cause a liver injury, but also about the pattern typically that you would see and if there's any treatments required. And then the last thing about drugs is that you need to be really thorough in the history. So you need to ask if they're taking anything, but you also need to specifically think about over-the-counter medications, any herbal remedies, any aver 
verdict medications, anything else that they might be taking, any supplements, anything, if they bought anything online from Amazon, you know, there's lots and lots of ways that people take things and don't realize it and just think it's part of their routine when you ask them if they're taking any drugs. So it's a key, key thing to ask if you're suspecting that because it is a diagnosis of exclusion. So you have to rule these other things out before you can call it a drug induced liver injury. So moving on, so I think the other sort of, so that's sort of the risk factors that you're going to be asking for in history. Next, you're going to ask about the symptoms that patient can potentially present with. So abdominal pain is a key feature because painless jaundice often indicates possible underlying malignancy, often, although there are other causes of uh, painless jaundice as well but in someone elderly uh, sort of with other constitutional symptoms such as weight loss presenting with painless jaundice so you need to rule out malignancy features such as fever can be related to sort of cholestitis cholangitis or even patients presenting with viral hepatitis nausea vomiting and again other constitutional symptoms fatigue rash sort of extra hepatic manifestation that you can get with some of the viral hepatitis and weight loss just as a possible malignancy or even just as a, as a sign of malnutrition in patients with chronic liver disease Next, moving on, you're going to ask about the patient's past medical history. As covered before, you're going to be asking about diabetes, high cholesterol, obesity. Also key to know if the patient has got known liver disease because if they're known cirrhotic and now they're coming with new deranged myelitis, this could be a possible decompensation. Particularly in alcoholics, they can present with alcoholic hepatitis. If they've got malignancy, extra hepatic malignancy, this could be due to a new liver meds. So key to know other oncological background. And again, autoimmune conditions such as celiac, thyroid, sarcoma, sort of the multi-system conditions that can also affect liver so it's bearing those in mind when asking when taking history is important yeah i think all of that is, is key stuff when you're thinking about what's going on with the liver disease and then you talked about kind of decompensation and, and as you say derangement function tests can be an indication of an acute liver injury but they can also represent a decompensation of underlying liver disease which would typically be with a jaundice and a coagulopathy and but you but when you're thinking about that thinking about the patient and their history then you know you can look at them and examine them and look for stigmata with chronic liver disease so that's things like spider nevi palmarothema contracture clubbing sarcopenia coagulopathy so might be evidence so things like blues bleeding or oozing and then when you're looking at the liver you might you might have a evidence support hypertension with ascites present or or splenomegaly so all of those things are important and obviously if you are worried about a decompensation you need to be wondering about ascites you need to be worrying about whether they've got asterixis to indicate hepatic encephalopathy or whether there's evidence of an upper gi bleed and all of those things help you to gather in your head what's going on with these liver function tests do they represent an acute liver injury in someone that's not cirrhotic or is it evidence of decompensation in the cirrhotic patients 